So let me start today by asking you guys a question. And that I found this happening to me a lot lately. Have you uh, ever gone to the refrigerator and opened it and then stood there looking, 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 and then it's like, oh, wait a second. What, why was I... I was hungry, right? Is that why I opened the fridge? And then you close it, and you're like, man, that was really weird. Um, or maybe, husbands, maybe you've done this to your wives. Um, I'm definitely guilty of this recently. Start a, start a conversation with my wife like this. Hey, babe, we really need to... And I'll be in the middle of doing something on the computer, or looking at my phone, the two cardinal sins of communicating in marriage, right? And she'll say, we need to what? I'll be like, huh? What? Did I, did I say something? She's like, yeah, you literally said, hey, babe, we need to... Oh, um, I don't know. I forget. I, I don't know what I was going to say. So I, I, I tell my students, it feels like... Um, anyone have an old laptop where you open up too many programs and then none of them run really well? And so these last couple of weeks have just been really wacky and kind of zany and busy... And I feel like my mental processes have been working on overload, and I've been forgetting basic things like, oh, I went to the fridge because I was hungry, or, oh, I started communicating with my wife because I needed to tell her something, right? And so today I want to focus on this, this idea of, of memory, because I think it's so important. Um, it's been an incredibly busy season. We've had uh, our son turn one years old. We bought a house. I just finished up my school year yesterday, so I had finals and graduation and all that last week, on top of the normal busyness that life brings. And so my ability to focus on any one thing for the past six weeks has been directly related to all those other mental processes that are going at once. And I found myself being like a squirrel in every sense of the world. What? 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 And it's been a season of difficult conversations, but also incredible growth and joy in the midst of those trials. So I'm excited to share this text with you this morning because it is a great reminder of Jesus and his work on the cross. And I know that he will be glorified in the midst of our gathering this morning. Now, I don't have any fancy slides, so I want to encourage all of you to take notes so you can remember. Um, If you're like me and don't have a photographic memory, you'll definitely need to write some things down. Um, I'm going to use an old preaching trick that I learned in my years growing up in the Southern Baptist tradition. Yes, I'm going to give you three points, and they all start with the same letter. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to read for you guys 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, which will be kind of our primary text for today. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I, can, I hope you can see right away where my excitement in sharing this text with you comes from. It's the gospel. It really is the good news of God's redemptive work that is fulfilled in Christ. So let's give our attention to verse 1. Right off the bat, Paul says, Let me remind you, brothers. Let me remind you of the gospel that I preached. The way Paul phrases this statement has the implication that the Corinthian church had forgotten something. And if we look at the previous chapter, we see that in fact, they were distracted. Previous chapters even. So really quickly before we dive in, I'm just going to give you just some really quick context to the Corinthian church. And this comes from the Pillar New Testament commentary. Here's what the uh, author of that commentary said about Corinth at the time. Corinth was prosperous cosmopolitan, and religiously pluralistic, accustomed to visits by impressive traveling public speakers, and obsessed with status, self-promotion, and personal rights. The Corinthians were simply trying to be Christians with a minimal amount of social and theological disturbance. In other words, the Corinthian church wanted to be saved, but didn't want to act like the gospel had transformed their lives. They were more concerned about outward appearances than where their hearts were at. And so if we look back at chapter 14, we'd see that the Corinthians had become concerned about the outward displays of spirituality in the midst of their church. They were promoting things that were outward visible signs that put on a facade of spirituality and holiness, but their hearts were not turned towards Jesus. They lost focus on what should have been their primary concern, that is, the gospel. That's why Paul's writing to them. But Paul calls them to remember the gospel, to put at their core as a church the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that is what I want us to do as well this morning. So the first thing I want you guys to write down as as a main idea is remember. Remember. Remember the gospel and have it at our core. Just as Paul reminded the Corinthians that the gospel was of utmost importance, I want to remind us, brothers and sisters, that the gospel should be of utmost importance in our lives. Remember that pinnacle of redemption in Christ's work on the cross. The goodness in the midst of our depravity. And most of all, I want us to remember this morning, like we talked about last week, God's good gifts that he gives to us, which are you and me. Our gifts to each other, the church. This is not really a suggestion to remember, but a command. Jesus commands his disciples in Luke at the Last Supper to remember his body and his blood whenever they share a meal together. In the, in the Christian tradition, we really have just two things that we are commanded to do by Jesus himself to show the world outward signs that we are distinctly Christian. One is getting baptized, and the other is to remember his sacrifice together when we take communion. You see, the Corinthian church had forgotten even what the Lord's Supper was about. They had disgraced it. If you look back to chapter 11, Paul admonishes them for how they are acting in the midst of the body. People are getting 
drunk at church before they take communion together. All the rich people are saying to the poor people, hey, look at us, we have this great food over here, and look at you guys, you have nothing. You're worthless. And they had forgotten the heart of the gospel, which was that Christ came and died for the church to be united to him, to be united to one another. And it was a bad scene there in Corinth, and Jesus, I'm sure his heart was broken, and Paul was convicted to call them out on it, to draw their attention back to the gospel. You see, the point at which we take communion together each week as a body should be the anchoring point, the anchoring point, the focal point, the point from which we draw our strength and renewal each week. Because it's a chance for us to remember the gospel together. Not just personally, but as a body. From the people that we draw our support from, who we're living our lives with. And so we should treasure this time, the time that we have at the end of the service, to reconcile any outstanding brokenness in the midst of our body. To take that time to lay down our lives for one another. To give it to Jesus at the foot of the cross and then to give thanks for the work that has already been done on our behalf. I was feeling convicted this week because oftentimes, by the time communion rolls around, I find myself thinking, oh good, we're almost done with the service. And uh, if we get church packed up quick enough, the game may still be close by the time I get home. So let's go ahead, let's just take communion and we'll be on our way. And I'm realizing, man, if that's supposed to be the anchoring point of my week and I'm rushing through it, there's no wonder then when I get through my week and I feel just frazzled and discombobulated and find myself staring into a fridge of food, wondering what the heck it is I'm doing, that I haven't properly centered my focus on the gospel that week. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing, although I said it's the anchoring point. It's got to be a day-to-day thing where we remember the gospel. We remember Jesus' work in our lives and on our behalf. So if you're feeling convicted by this, you're not alone. Um, Even Jesus' A-team, the disciples themselves, needed to be reminded of how Christ had worked in their lives. I want to show you guys just a couple quick examples. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. It's the second gospel there. Mark chapter 8, and I want you to look at verse 18. Actually, I lied to you. I want you to go back to 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? You see, Jesus had gathered a large group of people together to listen to him talk, and they had been listening to them, and they were all hungry. This was not a uh, unique situation in the Bible. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? You see, Jesus is like, guys, really? 
How many times have you seen me feed thousands of people? At least once before, recorded, right? And he's saying, guys, I fed thousands with five loaves. Do you not remember the good work that I've done? Do you not remember how I've cared for people? And they said to him, uh, I think it was seven, Lord. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? You see, the disciples were worried about their current situation, and they forgot to remember the goodness of the Lord that led them to that point. I feel like in my life, there's a lot of focus on what's going on right now, right in the moment, that I forget to recall how good the Lord has been in my life. Let's take a look at Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, that's some of the disciples, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? So now the angels even are reminding the disciples, hey, remember Jesus said this was going to happen. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. So even though Jesus had spoken directly to the disciples, hey, the Son of Man must be delivered over the Pharisees to be uh, beaten and killed, and then again, on the third day he will rise. Even though he said those things directly to them, they had forgot. And that's the A-team, the guys who experienced Jesus walking on earth with them. And so how much easier is it for us to forget to fail to remember God's goodness in our life, right? It's easy. We've been there. But I would call us, Mission Fellowship brothers and sisters, to remember God's good works in our life. The fact that he came and died for our sin and rose again, proving that he is our conquering king. But the gospel is not just about that salvation work. Jesus' work on the cross. At the same time, the gospel calls us to remember our identity. It calls us to remember the implication of that work. Now, have any of you seen the movie The Lion King? Probably most of you, right? And I know that if any of you have spent more than two hours with my daughter Charlotte in the last six months, you've probably seen the far-off Broadway version of the musical, the Lion King. She's been obsessed with it, thanks to our, uh, our friend Kennedy Cole. Um, but there's a scene in that movie that I just love. <clears throat> there's a scene where Simba is confronted with a problem, and he's been in the jungle kind of avoiding who he is and his call to 
be who he is. And the, uh, the baboon comes to him, Rafiki, and he, and he leads him to this pool. And Simba takes a look in the pool and he sees himself and he feels shame at, at the lion that he's become. But then Rafiki comes along and he slaps the water and he says, no, look harder. And as Simba starts to look, his reflection slowly is transformed to that of his dad, Mufasa. And the glorious voice of James Earl Jones comes down from the heavens and says, Remember who you are. You are the rightful king. Remember who you are. And I love that line because often when I look in the mirror, what I see is my propensity for sin. What I see is my critical spirit and my selfish heart. But that is not who I am. It's not who I'm called to be. And brothers and sisters, that is not who you are. And that is not who you are called to be. You are not the sins that you do or who have done. You are not the sins that have been done to you. Brothers and sisters, you are children of the Most High King. The conquering Savior of the universe. And we are called to remember our identity in the gospel, in God's saving work. And let that identity motivate us to act. We're never going to be done battling those sins on this earth. We're never going to be done investing in relationships that break. But God isn't calling us to run away from those problems, to hide out in the jungle, living the Hakuna Matata lifestyle, right? We're called to remember who we are. Let's look back in Ephesians. We've been studying this. I think it's a powerful reminder as we consider remembering who we are. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll start in verse 8. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, because of that grace that we experience through faith in Jesus, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, because of the work that he's done, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, because of all that, you guys are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, because of the grace that we experience, it allows us to put our faith in Christ and to be adopted into his family. We're no longer these things. We're no longer our past selves. We have to remember that. We're no longer those things. What we are is heirs to the throne with Christ, our brother Jesus Christ, our conquering king. So brothers and sisters, may we remember the gift that is Jesus' body as we take communion this morning. And may we also remember that we are citizens and heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, our conquering King. So that's the first key action word, remember. Remember the gospel and who you are because of it. So let's turn our attention back to 1 Corinthians. And I want to jump down to verses 10 and 11 of chapter 15. So give us a second to turn back there. <clears throat> so this is what Paul says. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. We see in verses 10 and 11 that the gospel is motivating Paul and the church to respond in practical ways. Paul says it is by God's grace that he is empowered to do that work of ministry. And he says it doesn't matter if it's him or someone else. So there's an attitude of humility there. But they preached and people believed. And so the second key word from our text today is to respond. So we've got remember, and now we have respond. Respond to the gospel. You see, the work of God through Christ demands a response. It doesn't allow us to sit on the fence. Especially to those of us who are in the body professing to be Christ followers. We are called to respond. Jesus himself says to his disciples, Luke 9, 23, says this, If anyone would follow after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So it's not just a one-time thing that we have to do, right? It says there in the text, daily. It's not a passive thing that magically happens to us if we say a certain prayer or if we come to church three times a week. It's something we have to choose to do, to let the Spirit work in our hearts so that we make that choice joyfully. That's the goal, right? To make that choice joyfully. But even in the midst of difficult times, we have to make that choice to 
put our flesh to death and follow Jesus. When we consider the implications of this, it can be easy to think to ourselves, well, ah, man, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm always going to have those things that I struggle with. So to me, it's easier not to try. I had a student this year in my class, and the student was a hardworking student, but wasn't exactly the sharpest student. Nice enough kid. It came time for the final exam. This kid was right at 60%. This person needed to pass the final to pass the class. And the test came. I passed the exams out. I said, okay, you guys have an hour. Finish your tests. Do your best on it. Turn it back in when you're done. And I'm walking around the classroom about 15 minutes in, and I notice this kid's just sitting there, head in his hands, nothing written on his paper. Hmm, interesting. Okay. So I say, hey, what's up? Well, Mr. Robinson, I know I'm going to fail, so I'm not even going to try. It's like, bro, man, give me something to work with here. Do you not realize that I'm going to give you partial credit for writing your name and maybe just copying down the numbers you see in the problem? I want to pass you. I don't want to fail you. I take no delight in failing you. But, Mr. Robinson, I just I feel, feel bad that I don't know it all. Brother, you don't need to know it all. Give me what you got. And that's what the Lord is asking us. He's not asking us to know it all, right? There are a lot of times when I feel like I'm passing life with a 59.6% and God's rounding up, right? But that's not what God is asking us for. He's not asking us for perfection. He's asking us to respond to his goodness. He's asking us to give him something to work with. He's asking us to trust him that when we put forth the effort, he's going to acknowledge it and he's going to work with us and meet us where we're at. And I love the argument that Paul presents in Romans. So let's go there. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? In other words, what good was it to sin? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul lays out the gospel again as he does in all of his letters. And he draws our attention to the fact that if we remember the gospel, the work that Jesus has done on the cross, we remember that we have died with him. We have died with Christ to our flesh. And now we have grace to live as slaves of righteousness so that we can get the fruit of sanctification that comes with its ultimate end, which is unity with Jesus and his people. You see, the gospel should motivate us to respond out of the gracious work of Christ on the cross. Not to earn that salvation, but because of that salvation, because of that work that's already been done. You see, back in 1 Corinthians, the gospel preached to the church there was received as a gift. It wasn't earned. They didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But we receive it as a gift. And we respond out of obedience to that gift. We know we are a people responding out of God's love and not in order to earn God's love when our actions lead us to lay down our lives in humble service for our brothers and sisters. That's how we'll know when we're responding out of love and not to earn love. And I've been overwhelmed by the love and the support that I've seen growing in this body. And I'm, in fact, experiencing it personally with all the offers to help that my wife and I have received as we go about the moving process. And I see it regularly in the lives of each one of you. I see how you are laying down your lives for one another, putting yourselves in positions that are not comfortable for you naturally because you love one another. And as one of your leaders, that is incredibly humbling to see. And I commend you for it. And I exhort you, don't stop. Don't stop growing in that. Brothers and sisters, let us continue to grow in our response to the gospel. May we continue to be a people that would willingly lay down our lives in humble service of our King Jesus. And in doing so, witness to the world around us that God is good. So that's the second key action word. Respond. Respond to the gospel. So we've got remember the gospel, respond to the gospel. So we're on the last point. For the last point, I kind of want to skip ahead here in 1 Corinthians. I want to skip ahead to verse 54. 
chapter 15, verse 54. And so the verses between verse 11 and verse 54 are a pretty heady theological discourse on resurrection. And because Hans is not here today, we don't have the requisite degrees, I think, to uh, tackle that, especially in the midst of a uh, one-hour message. So I want to skip to verse 54 because Paul uses the end of this um, chapter to tie together his thoughts about the gospel. So let's take a look. Uh, Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of all this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, because of the gospel, because of Christ's work, because we remember it daily, because we respond to it. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, because we have accepted God's grace, we responded out of obedience, let us rejoice that death and sin have been defeated in our lives and we can move forward in the work that Christ has called us to. So that last main idea is rejoice. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the work that God has done for us. Rejoice that we can be steadfast in the work the Lord is calling us to do even when it gets difficult. In that last passage, Paul alludes to a portion of Isaiah that talks about God's power. Let's turn there together. It's Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, 8. This is talking about God's power and his ability to beat death. You guys seen the uh, new Thor movie? I don't know. I'm kind of a superhero nerd. It's kind of a comic nerd. Um, and so I recently watched the last Thor movie. But Thor's older sister, she's the goddess of death. And she's kind of like the real deal. Right? And, and her younger brothers are deathly afraid of confronting her, of death. I don't know why it made me remind this. Just beating death. It's, it's a huge achievement, right? It's the ultimate villain, as it were. Death. So this uh, part of Isaiah is talking about God's ability to defeat death all on his own. It says this. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Praise the Lord. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
You see, Paul is alluding to that text for the Corinthians because he wants them to recognize that their sin doesn't define them. They have eternal security. Therefore, they can move about freely to do the work that God has called them to do, to be the people that God designed them to be. And that's what I want to remind us of this morning, brothers and sisters, that we rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice in God's saving work that not only justifies us before our Creator, but it also refines us more into His image. And so when we look in the mirror in the morning, we see less and less of those proclivities to sin and disobedience and more and more image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when people look at us, We rejoice because God is refining us into pictures of his son. And so therefore, we carry out the gospel by being us, by being who God made us to be. And I can speak from my personal experience that I am empowered to be who I am in the midst of community with all of you. And so I thank you for your commitment to one another. And I thank you for your commitment to me personally. It is a great witness to the power of the gospel when people who share nothing worldly in common come together to pursue unity because we love Jesus and we love each other. Speaks volumes to the world. And so, back in Isaiah, it's the God that we have waited for We have persevered through seasons of doubt and discomfort. We have turned our hearts to God. And let us rejoice that this is God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who brings salvation. I can't tell you how many times over the past school year, which felt like multiple years packed into one, where I've gotten so overwhelmed with the cares of this world and have been on the verge of literally breaking down. Well, those of you who know me know that there were times where I actually did break down. And I completely disregarded the pattern that is laid out before me in Scripture by Moses, by Joshua, by David, by Jesus himself. You see, I let my circumstances loom the largest in my life, and I despaired when I'm called to rejoice in my salvation. I saw my circumstances, and I became hopeless at times. And I needed to be reminded of the gospel. And the glory be to God that I have brothers and sisters willing to remind me of that fact, of the gospel when I could see it playing out in my life, the gospel. And I was snapped back to reality. And I rejoiced because I knew that I was saved and am saved and am being saved. And what we are called to do is to let this salvation of God be the focal point. Let it loom large in the forefront of your minds. 
and the circumstances will take care of themselves. Our eternity is secure. And in the midst of trials and tribulations, let us draw strength, let us rejoice in the fact that we have unity with each other and eternity with Christ to look forward to. Now, I can't offer a better commentary on rejoicing than the author of Psalm 66. So let's turn there. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, who keeps, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered. And my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayers. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We rejoice in the Lord because he is a generous king who has dealt graciously with us. We rejoice in the Lord because he has brought us to a place of safety in his steadfast love. We rejoice in the Lord because of the gifts he has given us in his Son and in one another. Brothers and sisters, may we let our rejoicing renew our spirits and give us a renewed hope and a renewed zeal to carry out the Lord's work here in Salem. So I'd like to close our time together as we become accustomed to doing by asking a few questions for us to consider as we meditate on God's word and spend time in prayer this week. The first question is this. The first question is this. What routines and habits... Do I have in place to help me remember who I am in light of the gospel? What routines and habits do I have in place to help me remember who I am in light of the gospel? What routines and habits do I have in place to help me remember who I am in light of the gospel? My second question for us today is this. 
How is my life reflecting that I have received the gospel? How is my life reflecting that I have received the gospel? My last question is this. Where am I getting stuck in my circumstances? Where am I getting stuck in my circumstances instead of rejoicing in the gospel? Where am I getting stuck in my circumstances instead of rejoicing in the gospel? Brothers and sisters, may we go from this place today knowing that we are children of the Most High God, that we are children who have been saved from his wrath by the gracious gift of Jesus' death on the cross. May we be a church that responds to the grace by the way we love and serve one another. And may we go from this place bearing the image of our King, rejoicing in every circumstance. And may God get all of the glory in our lives and in the church. May we continue to reflect him more and more.